You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, Purple Daily on draft. Every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. This was supposed to be an episode dedicated to Jaron Hall. And we're still going to get into Jaron Hall, don't get me wrong. Uh, but 4-0, even Phil gave gave you condolences during Ventline yesterday. saying so like, man, think of everyone I feel the worst for, it's 4-0. Because Jaron Hall looks pretty good in those first two drives. He leads them down to the goal line. He takes a nasty hit. I mean, immediately you saw a concussion, and they ruled him out pretty dang quick, too. There was no no pause there. I think even uh, us undiagnosed and non-medical professionals saw like, oh, that guy got banged up, and he's probably going to be done. Instead, Josh Dobbs comes in and saves the day, posts the highest QBR of any player, at least on Sunday, slate of games, which is absurd. Um, so let's let's start here. What does Josh Dobbs mean for the Viking succession plan at quarterback? So I'm not opposed if he continues to play, you know, decently well that he could maybe be a bridge guy or you just kind of ride in this, you know, summer fling, this little uh, hot thing you got going on here with Josh Dobbs. I guess, Miles, how does Josh Dobbs factor into the Vikings draft plans? Does he factor in at all to what the Vikings should be doing in the NFL draft by April? I mean, no, he shouldn't as of, Today, November, what, 6th? He shouldn't factor in anything November 6th. Now, let's see how the rest of the season plays out. Like, you know what's wild is, like, I know I know the Case Keenum, like, comparisons are going to come up now because, like, the team's good. Yeah. Like, and, and maybe we can get on a roll and maybe hit the playoffs and all those things. But um, the Vikings didn't keep Case Keenum. Like, they had every opportunity to keep Case Keenum after that, taking them to the NFC Championship game, and they still didn't want to. And I'm not saying Dobbs is going to do anything close to that. But – the performance yesterday, you know, the back half of the game especially was was impressive. And um, on a team like that's as talented as, as this one, it's it's something you want to see. But as of right now, I think it's way too early to say that he factors in, in any sort of like succession plan. I still think the Vikings would probably still lean on trying to go back to Kirk Cousins or you know, obviously early in the draft, those types of scenarios before I think Dobbs would become their like succession plan. But I think he's. I think Dobbs has done well enough for himself, and we'll see obviously the rest of the season and into this week and whatnot, but we'll see what happens if if he can kind of continue to make a name for himself to maybe be a bridge starter somewhere, whether it is Minnesota or somewhere else. You know, Maybe he could kind of become that like Geno Smith type, um, you know, a guy that's maybe a little bit better than everybody thought he was and mm-hmm. just needed the right environment to kind of get that true opportunity. So um, I'm, ex- I'm just excited to see how it plays out, but as of right now, I don't think it really factors in any decisions the Vikings are going to make moving forward. And clearly, like, his smarts are going to get him by like crazy. He's, yeah, it's, not just, it's not even the fact that he's one of the smartest guys on the football field. He's smarter than all of us combined and find, uh, smarter than a lot of us just average Joes with the, with the dude's educational he's, background. Yeah, he's played himself into a spot where he's probably going to be in the league for a decade, right? Like, he's right. like the, the, the Chase Daniels, the, uh, you know, all the, like, highly touted backup quarterbacks. He's kind of earning himself that opportunity to at least be that guy for a team. And I think that, that in itself is, is always a positive for a guy like him. 
All right, Forno, what about you? Do you think Josh Dobbs factors in anything here? Are you just kind of going case-by-case, week-by-week basis? Uh, what did you think of Josh Dobbs' performance yesterday, and I guess what, what does it mean for the Vikings' plans at quarterback going forward? It's a lore performance. This is going to rank up there with the Sam Bradford performance week two against the Packers. It's insane what he was able to do, how he was able to do it. And I'm really excited to dive into the film to see how good it actually was because the vibes were incredible. It was wonderful to watch and it was fun. Like the Vikings should have lost this game by 20 and they won. And you can credit Dobbs. Most of the credit I think needs to go to Kevin O'Connell and his coaching staff and the culture that they built. This was a culture win. And you saw in the post game, uh, little, a speech from O'Connell. None of these guys stopped believing in this team. And it was really impressive. But as far as like the future, I think we need to see what Josh Dobbs looks like when he has time in the building, when he has time to learn this offense and operate it with some form of comfort, because right now this is an anomaly and it's not to diminish how, how great the performance was after that rough start, he balled and it was awesome. But is it professional football or is it street ball? Because on Sunday, they played street ball, and it worked, and they got a win. It was great. But now when you're projecting forward, you can't do that every week. You have to have some form of cohesion. You have to have some form of chemistry. And how is that going to build, and how is that going to manifest? I think that's going to determine what Josh Dobbs is. And if he's only at a certain level, I think you need to play Jaron Hall because he's the young guy who's an unknown, and you need to see what he has. And he played well to start the game. This is a very fluid situation moving forward because of how great Dobbs was, but there's no guarantees and there should be, we shouldn't expect anything other than the unknown right now, because there's also a reason why Josh Dobbs has been with five organizations over the course of the last 12 calendar months. It's not because he doesn't have talent. It's because he's nobody has ever viewed him as the guy or a guy that we really need to keep on this football team. It, it's an, a complete unknown variable right now. I keep referencing that uh, math problem in Goodwill Hunting. Find the variable answer. Once you do, you're going to have a clearer picture. And right now, it's a very murky picture at the quarterback position for the Vikings for a number of reasons. And the Dobbs performance yesterday just puts a, another wrench into the equation. My, uh, my, my spidey senses, pun intended, went up when you said anomaly because I just watched Across the Spider-Verse over the weekend, and which was, by the way, a phenomenal film. Great I love the first one. I finally got to see the second one. I meant to see it in theater. Just summer got away from me, so I watched it on Netflix over the weekend. And you know, you brought the term anomaly, and if I'm sorry if I'm spoiling anything here, but that's what Miles Morales realized, that he's the first anomaly of all these Spider-Man and all these different Spider-Verses and across the world, and his ripple effect causes, you know, canon disruptions. And... I, again, I could go on for days about how awesome that is, uh, but th- there is actually like a weird parallel here between both those things, right, Miles? I mean, you're talking about Josh Dobbs stepping in here, and now all of a sudden a guy who was traded as mostly an insurance policy because they needed someone after Kirk goes down steps in and now changes potentially like the direction of this team. Like I'm, I'm, on, I'm with you guys that hey, got to go week by week here. They're not going to obviously just change everything after one really cool game against the Falcons. But it is an interesting thought process that like Josh Dobbs comes in here, doesn't know the playbook, doesn't even know his teammates. No one knows the cadence of his snap count, so he has to pull his center and offensive line aside on the sideline to figure things out. 
Uh, the whole thing to me, I think, is super fascinating, and I think that's why it's why it's so cool. Isn't, isn't this just like peak Vikings, Minnesota Vikings? Because like throughout the '90s, two th- early 2000s, you know, before like Dante Culpepper got drafted, and it was like Randall Cunningham. Uh, you had the all the Warren Moon, all these different uh, Brad Johnson, all these different like um, stopgap quarterbacks coming in and kind of filling in. They some of them would play well early, and then they'd kind of keep a job for a little bit. Then they get usurped by somebody else, and all this like revolving door at, at quarterback and like I, I hope that doesn't happen here but I think you know Dobbs it might be that other guy like a Brooks Bollinger some of that like oh we might keep this guy around and let him like you know be a bridge let him be like a, a guy that starts a, a a few games a season or what have you and um the Vikings have kind of been good at that as at finding those types of quarterbacks and so does his dog the dog agrees too yeah whether, and, so, uh, and, and Teddy agrees too yeah. Teddy Teddy totally agrees I love For that once it wasn't Odie they the, let's just take that as a win I was going to say, I'm, I'm usually at studio for your for our Monday show. Otherwise, Vinny uh, would be doing the same thing. We're all used to our barking dogs in the background. Um, hey, Forno, so what were your thoughts on Jaron Hall? I know limited action, just a couple drives there. And I even saw Kevin O'Connell. Mon- we're recording this around 1 p.m. Central on Monday. He already named Josh Dobbs the starter. Uh, Jaron Hall is still in concussion protocol. Uh, what- oh, he did. I missed that. I- Sorry, real quick. Sorry, I missed I miss that. that he named yeah, I, believe- I think already. I saw Will Raggetts, I believe, tweet that out about Okay. Uh, 45 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes ago before we hit the, the wording was on. they're going to prepare for him to be the starter, but considering right. it's a concussion, I, yeah, I don't see right. any other way for Sunday. So yeah, uh, for sure. That makes sense. So Forno, what did you think of his performance? And I even, I think I, did I saw you tweet that you, he deserves still another look, even, even though he's in concussion protocol and Josh Dobbs is potentially has this job by the horns right now. Yeah, I think he does deserve another look and let, let's go into the why behind that before we go into the performance. The why behind it is because you have a rookie quarterback who acquitted himself well in the two drives that he had, and you still have a lot of unknown with him. Dobbs has 10 starts in the league. He's about to get his 11th. He's been in the league since 2017. He's a relatively known commodity. So you have an unknown with potential, and you just don't know what that potential is yet because you need to see more on the field during live game action. If they're relatively equal, or even if Dobbs is slightly higher than Hall, I think you need to roll with the young guy to kind of see what you have. That, in my opinion, is good team building, and it's good understanding of how to continue to develop your players. You have an opportunity to get a young quarterback reps. Take it. It's not like we're benching Kirk Cousins. We're benching Josh Dobbs, who's brought in as that insurance policy. So that that's why I think that. But it also looks, you got to look at the play as part of that equation. He was doing stuff that Kirk Cousins was doing on a regular basis. He was canning at the line of scrimmage. So he was essentially changing the play. So more often than not, these quarterbacks are sent to in multiple plays. And you look at the coverage, you look at what the defense is doing, and then you change it at the line. So when they go can, 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 that's what they're doing. They are signaling what the play is going to be to the rest of the team. He was doing that. He was making calls to the line of scrimmage. He looked relatively comfortable in the pocket. And that throw to Alexander Madison was awesome because he didn't get fooled by that coverage shift. So it started off with a cover two look, and then they rotated the safety down and over to just get uh, MOFC middle of the field closed. So it's a single high coverage. And then Addison, sorry, and Madison takes over the, the top of the corner. And there's just no way that middle of the field safety can go over and get and get to the sideline to make a play on the ball. 47 yard gain. 
those little things make a difference. Now he's got to hit Hawkinson on that little floater. He missed it. But I don't, I don't see that as being, it's not a bad decision. It's just slightly off target. You can work on those little things. The big things, they trusted him. It looked like with the entire playbook based on how they were allowing him to operate at the line of scrimmage. That's a good thing, especially for a fifth round rookie that you trust him to operate like that at the line of scrimmage. They weren't trusting him like a rookie. They were trusting him like a quarterback. And I think that's important to think about when we're talking about how this is going to project the rest of the year. Hall could still be a nothing guy. But here's the thing we don't know. And until you have that answer, I think when they're relatively equal, unless Dobbs just throws for five touchdowns and runs for another one on Sunday and just has like an outstanding performance, I think you need to go back to Hall and see what you have. So, Miles, yeah, I really wanted to see. Oh, I was just going to jump in and say what I wanted to see is like those first couple of drives for Hall. You could tell that there are a lot more scripted plays mm-hmm. and, and not, not any negative. That's no shade toward Hall. They're like, the first few drives are supposed to be a little bit more scripted, more controlled. And I think that that's a good thing for a young quarterback to kind of get himself into a rhythm. What I was hoping to see from Hall is like how he handled that second and third quarter. You know, when the game starts kind of ebbs and flows and you're kind of getting into things where the unknowns start hitting. I really, I just really wanted to see that. And so I think that's an unfortunate, one of the unfortunate parts about him getting hurt is like, we didn't get to really see how he was going to settle into things and, and how he's going to handle like the defense is giving him different looks and like him going off script and, and some of those different things. So I was, I was really excited to just like see that. So I think that's the difference for me between him and Dobbs right now is like if the Vikings had lost yesterday or they had lost against uh, uh, last week against Green Bay or they've kind of been in a situation where they w- really weren't like truly in the playoff hunt, I think it would make a lot of sense to go right back to Jaron Hall whenever he's healthy. But I think the tough part is the way Dobbs played at the end of the game yesterday and moving forward for a team that is five and four and looking to get into the playoffs, it's hard to just say, Hey, if Dobbs is is still playing decently well and we're winning games, it's hard to just say go right back to Jaron Hall. But I'm with you in that I I would love to see him get more opportunity because I think you do want to find out what you have in a guy like him because you did put some even a small investment into him. So if you can find out what a little bit more of what he is behind this, or at least on, on game days, I think that'd be a, a a big tell for you. I don't think it changed anything in terms of like long term um, process, but I think it at least could maybe he's your long term backup or you know bridge could be even a potential bridge guy too. So I'm with you on that. There's still a non-zero chance. He's the franchise quarterback. That's minimal. It's very minimal. But if you have that opportunity, you got, but did he get Wally pipped? But did he get Wally pipped? Right. There's like, a chance, but, but there's also, you're also going to see how Kevin O'Connell kind of called the game. Now there's a little bit of film on him. How much of that can you actually take to the bank? Oh, I know. I know. Different story, but, Athleticism, though, is one thing that I think I'm excited to see O'Connell bake into his offense a little bit more. And I'm sure he was going to do that with Hall, too, because we know Hall has functional athleticism. But I am excited to see, like, with Dobbs being the full-time, at least the starter this week, at least plan to be the starter this week, they're going to start baking in some of those maybe RPOs and, and um, designed runs. That I, that, because the run game, we'll probably get into this, but the run game has been awful. So, like, maybe if Dobbs can help you, serve, you know, ups, you know uh, fix some of that with his legs, and like he did yesterday, that just is going to help go a long way. But I think Hall could do some of that as well. I do want to ask you guys uh, about the Vikings running game. But before we get to that, I guess I don't think we really discussed this because we were still like absorbing the Kirk Cousins news uh, with the Achilles injury, knowing he was going to be out for the season. And then even over the weekend, I saw Diane Rossini and others basically say like, hey, there's still talks that the Vikings reunion could happen with Kirk Cousins. What would you guys want to do here? Do you, are you in the camp of wanting to re-sign him now? Do you want to roll the dice and take this to free agency? I guess 
Forno, what would you want to do with Kirk Cousins going forward here? Are, are you wanting to lock him up ASAP? Or would you rather kind of let this season play out and maybe even get into a bidding war with other teams? I want to know the medicals and I want to know the price. And until then, I, it's really hard for me to make any f- sort of comment uh, outside of that because he's a 35-year-old with a ruptured Achilles tendon. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but how much of that w- will he be robbed of? Because that's a brutal injury for any athlete to come back from. Like Cam Akers is about to go through his second torn Achilles, and he's, what, 24, 25 years old? Like, realistically, that could be the end of his career. And not, not to be a doomer, but that's just what type of injury that is. It's brutal. So I want to know how he's going to recover from it. And in three and a half months, like mid-February, so the big date, I believe, is February 20th. It might be the 28th. I'll have to fact check it. But his contract voids before free agency. So if his contract voids, all that March, money, March 15th. Well, there, there's two dates. There's the beginning of free agency, and then there's the void dates. Because remember, last year, Dalvin Tomlinson's contract, they actually yeah. moved it back because that voided on the on like the 20th. I'll look it up on over the cap here in a second. I know, I'm, lo- I'm looking right now too. So but yeah, keep going. Keep- whenever that date is, that's going to be the pivotal date. They can always negotiate to move that void date back like they did with the Tomlinson last year. But otherwise, all that $28.25 million, that's going to hit next year no matter what. So then that complicates you bringing him back. Whereas if you resign him right now, it would be, I think, a $10.5 million cap hit. And then you would just have whatever gets added on with the contract. So I want to know more of the medicals and then what the price will be, because because of the Achilles tendon, maybe teams don't want to bring him in as their starter because he's going to be turning 36 coming off a ruptured Achilles. That could be a real detriment to anybody actually wanting him in their building at that price. So there's so many variables here and I want some more data before I really make a calculated decision, but I can tell you this, the team wants him back. Everything that we're hearing, everything that they're saying, Grace Dolfo Mensa in press conferences, Kevin O'Connell, the reactions after he ruptured his Achilles, they all want him back and they all love him. So it might not matter what we think. They may just get it done. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me either. This is going to be just a, such an interesting situation for him. Cause yeah, does he accept less money just to know he can be back? Does he have a price point that he's not going to negotiate afterwards from a floor standpoint? Like there's just a, there's a lot of different wrinkles here and the Vikings are now on their like fourth quarterback option here in Josh Dobbs and it's working. I mean, there's some out at the playoffs are today. They would be in the playoffs. Like that also part is kind of wild to me in a weaker NFC, but um, really cool. Real really quick. good stuff. Yeah. The wild part to me about this whole Kirk's cousin situation is he ruptured his Achilles a week ago, but for the last two years, him and Quazy and the the Vikings and Kirk Cousins camp have not been able to come to agreement on a long term extension on an extension, even a short term, long term, like anything. But all of a sudden, he tears his Achilles, and now it's like, okay, Kirk's coming back. We got our quarterback for twenty twenty four, and be like, I just think it's it's maybe, I just think it's maybe too like it's way too early to like have this like this prediction that he's going to be back. I'm not saying anybody's like saying, Hey, Kirk cousins is automatically coming back. I just think if crazy was tough on him before to get an extension done when he was fully healthy, I can only imagine that type of like negotiation period where he's going to be like, dude, you literally just tore your Achilles. You're going to be 36 years old and your Achilles tear isn't even your off, off, off foot. It's just, it's his dry foot. So like Kirk cousins already doesn't have the strongest arm in the league, but now he, he might lose some of that zip from the dry foot he's got. 
And I think that in itself is like, if you're crazy come March, February, March, it's like, Hey, here's a contract in front of you of like literally the, the structure that I want it to be. Um, like you either take it or like, good luck. And that's what it feels like, you know, crazy's kind of been playing hardball. So I just wouldn't be surprised if, if like some of the news coming out right now is more of like, uh, Kirk definitely wants to be back, which, and I could understand both sides wanting both, you know, both sides back, but that negotiating period is, is going to be really tricky because there's a lot of information that both of you mentioned that just isn't available yet that we can't really even like quantify. And so it's so, it's so tough to say like in November that uh, Kirk Cousins is going to be in the future plans come February, March, when it's only going to be like five months since his injury. An update. Uh, Cousins does void on the 15th of March. Mm-hmm. Mark Davenport's the voids on the 20th. Okay. Oh, so they got a little bit more time with Davenport in. Okay. No, uh, less time with Davenport. You more said the 20th? 20th of February. Oh, February. Oh, February. I was okay. assuming March, yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, assuming I March was, too. too. Yeah. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Let's let's go to the running back well here. So Alexander Madison, not really an effective option still. Uh, he can pass, he can catch some touchdowns. He's a you know okay option, I guess, in the, in the flat here and there. But in general, the running game is struggling. You just lost Cam Akers to the season uh, for, uh, for the whole season now. What do you do? Do you put Ty Chandler in there more, who has shown a little bit when he's been called upon? Or, and this kind of came to me late last night after we got done talking, was you activate Dwayne McBride, who we were all pretty high on in the draft, who's on your practice squad still. What do you do to get this Vikings running game going? I guess, Miles, what would you want to see? Who do you want to see get more touches? Who do you want to see get more activated, I guess? What do you want to see the Vikings do to get this running game back in the right direction? I think that's a good question. Also, like, to start, like, really feel for Cam, Cam Akers. You know, Forno mentioned earlier a couple of years ago, he tore his Achilles. He's able to come back in, like, six months, which is crazy for a skill position player. But, um, you know, it's really, it's really tough to see. I think he was the one guy that had a little bit more, like, um, consistency for the for the running back group. Um, obviously, I think Madison probably had his best game yesterday, but that was more in the passing game. Um, but Akers was somebody that that looked good, and I thought you know you could maybe sprinkle in more. It looked like he was getting more of like a fifty fifty split. Um, so really feel for him there. Um, I think what the Vikings kind of have to do is they they got to like internally just discuss like what what's our best path forward. Do we need to get um, Ty Chandler more involved? I think. We, we've seen Ty Chandler involved, you know, snippets here and there. It's clear that they don't trust him enough to like take over like a timeshare, but I think you're going to have to kind of trial by fire force that situation to happen because I don't think Madison's good enough to carry the load in that capacity. And he's also not the explosive entity you need in, in that area as well. So um, maybe Kenny Nuangu, who was a healthy scratch yesterday, you know, maybe they get him more involved. I think Dwayne McBride's a good opportunity. Maybe they call him up, but, um, I, I just think they're at a point where it's more the scheme than it might just be the, the players that they have back there. And I think that's the biggest issue that they're running into. That doesn't mean that the, the running backs are running all that great, but I also think that the run game, the scheme, and the, and the players just aren't stepping up. And I think they need to kind of figure out internally, how do we offset some of that? And is there a new guy that could come off the street or someone's practice squad that could really mm-hmm. fix that? I doubt it. Like the trade deadline's passed. Most most free agents or anybody, anybody that's like actually worth anything is probably – 
scooped up or not available. Um, so you're kind of in a situation where it's like you guys, you have what you have. And um, unless someone hits the streets somehow tomorrow, then you're kind of going to have to figure it out with the guys you have. Bono, what do you want to see, I guess, uh, utilized differently here on the running game? Because you can't obviously abandon it. Um, they have to set up play action. They have to do other things to get the pass game going. And, you know, I, Josh Dobbs changes things a little bit too, right? The guy can run a little bit, so it's not necessarily uh, just getting the, a more running back involved. You could have Josh Dobbs use his legs and use design runs and do other things to, you know, pick up yards that way. But I guess what what do you want to see happen here to get this running game back in the right direction? I don't know. Then that's a tough part because the success rate was high. Um, I, I don't have the numbers after yesterday, but I know it was awful in the first half and it was pretty decent in the second half. But a couple of weeks ago, they were seventh in the NFL in success rate on the ground, which that's pretty good. And being able to be successful on those rushing plays is a net positive, but they're not able to generate explosives and they're far from consistent. And it's it's about Madison being able to read his blocks. It's about explosiveness. And there's so many little things that he does well. There's so many things that he doesn't. And that's why he was so inexpensive on the contract. It's also why I didn't like the contract because I just didn't think what he brought to the table was good enough to be a top back. I really like Ty Chandler, but some of the little things he do, he just doesn't do very well in comparison to Madison. That's why he's not getting a lot of run. Now he's probably going to. But is it going to be a 50-50 split like it was with Cam Akers? Probably not. You're probably going to see Ty Chandler go back to getting a couple drives a game until he proves himself. I still don't think Wong Wu has proven anything to show that he can be a running back in the National Football League. He's electric with the ball in his hands. But sometimes you're just not good enough to play a position and you're a return guy. And I think that's probably where we're going to end up with Wong Wu. A little frustrating. But sometimes it just happens. The running back is that maybe doesn't matter per se in the national football league compared to other positions. It's still a difficult position to play. And there's a reason why you might be able to find a guy in round five, because he just doesn't have like a lot of the athletic traits that you're looking for, but he has so much else and they can be successful right away in the league. But there, there's a reason why it's tough. And there's a lot of changeover. It's not just because of the, the shelf life. It's because it's tough. It's a hard position. And I don't think the Vikings are going to be able to do anything really to, truly fix their running game until the off season when they're able to bring in a better back because I don't think it really mattered who was a back yesterday. The right side got smoked almost every single time they tried to run the football. O'Neal and Ingram just got cooked. Bradbury wasn't very good either. Like the running game was, was bad for multiple reasons and we just may have a bad running game and just kind of have to deal with it. I was able to ask you guys about this because obviously the trade deadline happened after we were done recording, but what did you make of the Ezra Cleveland trade? So Cleveland ends up uh, getting traded to the Jaguars. Uh, the Vikings get a day three pick back. Uh, Cleveland's been having a good year. He's entering a contract year, so I guess the Vikings kind of hedged of, all right, we can get something in the, immediately in the draft instead of waiting for a comp pick in the future draft. Uh, Miles, what did you think of the Ezra Cleveland trade? Did that one surprise you at all, or were, were you also kind of in the camp of, hey, they actually get some value back now. This is a good move for the Vikings. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. I think we'd kind of been hearing rumblings, you know, coming from like people like Doogie and, and other folks that like the Vikings weren't weren't tied to Ezra Cleveland long term. Like I think they were like, okay, we're cool with having him as the rest of the season starter. Then that, then they obviously bring in Dalton Reisner and and that kind of shifted things when once Cleveland got hurt. And it sounds like Cleveland might, you know, still want to have the opportunity maybe go to tackle. Um it just it never felt like Ezra Cleveland was was someone that they were like invested in. And 
if you're not going to bring a guy like that back and you can get a, an early round, six round pick, I view that as like, Hey, I'm good with it because um, I think everybody talks about the comp pick formula. And everybody's like, Oh, you could get like a higher comp pick. I don't think you're going to get anything more than a fifth, six round pick for, for Ezra Cleveland. I don't, I don't expect him to go break the banks any, anywhere. Like he's good. He's been a solid player, but I don't think he's like someone that you go invest. A team's going to go invest a lot of money into that really would really impact the, the comp pick. But at the same time with the comp pick, like playing that game in itself is dangerous. Like what I what I'm glad that they did is they said, "Well, let's just cut bait now, because if we have to play that comp pick Florida game, that, that impacts who we try to sign in free agency, who we don't, and now you like guarantee yourself the draft pick rather than kind of hoping you can get a a fifth or sixth late six round you know uh, draft pick in 2025." So I was good with it, um, and it it sounds like they like Blake Brandle as well, who's been kind of playing the the interior um, this year especially, and so um, I think. I'm good with it. Like, I think maybe Reisner is more in your, your long-term plans than Ezra Cleveland might be. Well, did you expect him to get a little more for Ezra Cleveland, or were you good with the six-round pick? Initially, I was really upset about the six-round pick. I thought they should have at least gotten a fifth. Um, I thought they could have potentially gotten a fourth because of what Cleveland was. But sometimes, even if your asset is worth X, doesn't mean the market's going to give you that. And that's just something like, take, take a look at crude oil. Oil just goes up and down up and down like we still need it relatively the same but at the end of the day if it's worth 45 bucks a barrel you're gonna pay 45 bucks a barrel like it's and teams just did not want to pay more than a six now i will say if you expect a comp fifth back and you don't want to deal with that compensatory formula the vikings basically got best value because they didn't just get a six-round pick they got a six-round pick that belongs to the carolina panthers which is probably top three in the round if it's top three in the round, that's only three picks off from being a compensatory fifth. So it's basically the same value. And now I would expect that the Vikings are going to do some movement in free agency. They have at minimum th- like 13 roster spots open after the year because they have 40 guys signed through next year. So how is it going to impact? And I, I wouldn't expect them to get a comp pick back in 2025 because I would expect them to do a little bit more damage, especially with how much money they have to play with. Right now it's slated at about $55 million. That's not including any money you give to Christian Derrissaw, Justin Jefferson, but Jefferson's cap, it probably goes down for that year anyways, because of how extensions work. And I'm looking at it and it's fine. They were going to play him anyway. Chris Reed just got his practice window activated. He's going to come back. He's a guard center option. And they feel comfortable with their depth. And I think they're right in feeling that, especially after the performance by Questenberry yesterday. We haven't done any uh, mock drafts. Hey, they yet. also saved, sorry, they also saved a, a million dollars in cap space. And I think that in itself is something yeah. like, especially for a team that's kind of, they what Pushing had like eight or $9 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that million dollars in season, especially matters. That's how you got Josh Dobbs. Cause Dobbs is just under a million bucks. Yeah. Sure. They, they basically, like when you offset them, I think you save a million with Ezra Cleveland, like getting rid of Ezra Cleveland. Yeah, nice little uh, cap gymnastics there from uh, from Quay. So that's the wrong <laughs> sounder. I want this one. All right. So we haven't done many mock drafts uh, in season yet on this show, but uh, I did see one from Pro Football Focus. Uh, it set off Tyler Fornis on Twitter, and I'm going to set him off again on the podcast here. So <laughs> this is uh, this is from Pro Football Focus. Uh, it's a mock draft, and I'm going to spare you all the picks. There is some trades in here, like the Cardinals uh, did a trade, I think, to four. 
Let's see here. Obviously, Caleb Williams. Actually, the Giants traded up to number one in this mock. That is wild. So uh, pretty crazy little mock draft. It is November still. We're always in mock draft season, though. So in this mock, the Vikings are picking 20th. So they are on the clock at pick 20. And with the 20th overall pick in the draft, the Minnesota Vikings select cornerback Nate Wiggins out of Clemson. A cornerback cornerback production remains one of the long, top long-term needs for the Vikings. Wiggins has serious ball skills and at 6 foot 2, 185 pounds, he is one of the top cover players in the class. Now, Forno, I'm going to give you the floor here because uh, you were making the point to us off mic. You made some points I saw on Twitter or X. I'm always calling it Twitter. I'm not, I refuse to call it X. Um, that cornerback room is developing here a little bit. It's showing signs of life. You don't have to waste your first-round pick on cornerback. So I guess why disagree with the notion that the Vikings should take a cornerback with their first-round selection? Why? Why take a cornerback? And <laughs> I, I think it's just to be kind of come a... Um, for lack of a better term, lazy national narrative that the Vikings just need a cornerback because it just felt like they'd needed a cornerback for about five years. And they invested a lot of resources in the last two off seasons into the position. Byron Murphy on that deal. And then they drafted Mikai Blackman, Andrew Booth Jr. and Caleb Evans, all of whom have seen some form of relative success. When Booth has been in there this year, he's played well. Blackman is a rookie has played well. Evans has proven himself to be a legitimate starting cornerback in the league. Why would you continue to use assets on that position when the position right now is good, capable, and you have multiple guys through the 2024 season under contract and Byron Murphy, if you want to extend him, should be relatively easy to extend. I don't see why that's a good use of your resources and assets, considering you could be without two edge rushers, uh, three edge rushers with DJ Wanham also having his contract expire. The defensive line, is brutal and needs reinforcements badly. And you may need to uh, attack receiver even before cornerback because KJ Osborne's probably not common. I I'm not advocating for taking wide receiver in round one, but if a great one is there, why the heck not? Plus quarterback, they pass on JJ McCarthy in this mock. Like now we're going to ignore the fact that Bonix and Michael Penix jr. were at six and 12, which that's an entirely different discussion, which they probably shouldn't even be close to round one. But cornerback just feels like oh the vikings always need cornerback help let's put him in there <laughs> you watch this team they don't need cornerback help they're playing well and you got to attack other positions especially jared verse from florida state when i pick 21 mccarthy pick 26 to me it's it's just not understanding where the vikings are at as far as where their development curve is and how their resources are projecting out moving forward and to say cornerback is that need, I think is just blatantly incorrect. Miles, are you against uh, taking a quarterback here early in the draft, or would you, if the board fell fell off a certain way, are you for it? I guess where do you fall on the on the Vikings taking a cornerback in this mock draft? Yeah, I'm I'm not usually one to like overreact to like November mock drafts, but I agree with like I was looking at it, and that's what set me off. The two things that set me off were like Jared Verse and and JJ McCarthy, both available at pick twenty. But the Vikings aside, cornerback is the biggest need. The big he's like the best player available, and that that to me at this stage just isn't right. Um, so yeah, I, I I just don't think cornerback is something that you should be focusing on early in the draft for the Vikings when they have so many other needs on the defensive side and at quarterback. And if a quarterback like McCarthy is available, it'd be really hard 
like to watch this team again pass up a quarterback for the third, fourth straight year in a row where like they have a guy that could fall in their lap and they just keep passing on that guy. Um, Because at that point I'd be like, well, is the front office and ownership just like terrified of making a move at that position? And if they are, then that to me would be the, would raise the biggest red flag. Like if they're scared to take a guy or go get a guy like that stuff to me is like, I'm at that stage where they're at like roster wise, where if they're afraid to make a move on somebody, then, I'm I'm probably going to raise some red red flags, um, but um, yeah, that, those are the things that really set me off. Like I said, like a no, November mock draft, it's hard to like truly predict the things that are going to happen. Anything could change between now and you know February, March, April before you know heading into the draft season. Like guys could get hurt, guys could get you know in trouble. Anything could really happen where that really changes the outcome of of your team. But but as of right now, come November, early November, I, I'd say I have a hard time seeing cornerback be be that first pick at 20 with those guys, especially with those guys available. Uh, before we wrap here on Purple Daily on draft, some college football stuff. Uh, Forno, I know you wanted to make the point about Caleb Williams, who uh, lost a tough one over the weekend, and I guess some people had a problem with him going up to his parents to stand and showing emotion and crying and whatnot. Um, so I want to, again, maybe give you the floor here to kind of defend that notion. I, By the way, I'm to- totally with you, excuse me, uh, that – Look, if anyone's showing emotion and heart like that, I love that. I don't like the robotic, just no emotion, and you're being soft or not, or you're being uh, too soft because you're showing tears or something. Uh, I guess, what what did you think of Caleb Williams showing all that emotion after a, a tough loss over the weekend? As weird as it is to say, I loved it. I don't ever want to see anybody manifest that kind of sadness and be upset, but it also shows how much he cares. and. If you watch that uh, Washington USC game, it was fantastic. They went blow for blow, and it was tied at forty-two before Washington ended up taking the lead and winning fifty-two forty-two. But Caleb Williams put everything he has into football and puts every, put everything he has into that game. And for Alex Grinch's defense, who was finally fired on Sunday afternoon, which was should have happened years ago when Grinch was still at Oklahoma, but that's another story. When you put everything you have and then to not be able to see it manifest the way you wanted it to because of everything you put in and how well he played, emotions can get the better of people. And he expressed it in a healthy way. He, he wasn't attacking people. He wasn't throwing people under the bus. And we also have to remember, he's a 20-year-old kid. He's still learning how to be an adult. He's, he's still learning how to play the game of football. Like It's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. And anybody who is hating on it, they stink. <laughs> Just absolutely stink. It's it's so frustrating that we're hating on this kid. And I saw so many people like, oh, I want nothing to do with Caleb Williams. Kirk Cousins would never do that. If Kirk Cousins went up to his wife and was crying after that playoff win and caught it on camera, everybody would be defending Kirk because of the same reasons I brought up with Caleb Williams. Because they would be he would be so passionate about wanting to win that his emotions got the better of him and he let it out in a healthy way, yeah. nonetheless. Like it, to me, it's a big nothing burger. And I actually like Caleb Williams a little bit more because of how he was able to manifest and just show that vulnerability. Cause you know what? You don't need to always be the tough guy. And growing up our, our father's generation, you had to be the tough guy. You couldn't show emotion. And some of that was kind of passed on to us, but we also started to understand that it's okay to show emotion. It's yeah. okay to, to cry and be upset. Caleb Williams doing that is fine. We really should be shaming ESPN for focusing on him now. And the second you realize, oh, he's crying with his mom. 
maybe get the camera off of him. Yeah. We don't need that kind of moment to be plastered all over national television. It's fine. The guy wants to win and he busted his ass to win. That's the end of it. I agree. Yeah. I, I if Kirk would have let out some tears after that wild card loss, I would not have judged him. And to your point, I think I think he I probably might have. have. And he and might have. We don't we just we just don't know. <laughs> that is for sure too. Same all those Kirk Cousins. Those same people attacking Caleb Williams would be praising Kirk. Yeah. It's the yep. Caleb Williams versus Tim Tebow thing. Both of them should be praised for putting everything they had. And you know what? They got emotional after losing a big game. It's the exact same thing. The part that bothers me is like maybe Caleb Williams had no he may like most players, they go and talk to their families after games before they head to the locker room, right? And maybe when he up to I'm assuming that's his mom. I think everybody keeps saying it. I don't want to assume anything, but I I'm guessing it's his mom. Like if it was my parent, my loved one, and I like the emotions just, you know, you ever like give somebody you care about like a hug and like you've had all these emotions built up and sometimes you give that person you care about a hug and it just like comes out. That's happened to me. And like, I, I, I wonder if like he might not have even had any intention of crying, but he walks up to his mom and like the second she gives him a hug, it just like comes out. Right. Because you're with people that like, you know, genuinely care about you. They, they like, there's like, and you couldn't just hold it in. Like, like that happens. Like it's sports. Like I think the thing that people forget about athletes and sports in, in itself is like, as someone that did play and like, I still like, like love sports and like, and love to play sports. But like, as someone that did play, like the emotions, your emotions run so hot. And it was so hard sometimes to not like, I've let it out in unhealthy ways. Like when I played baseball, I used to throw my glove at times. Like my dad would lay into me, but like, then there's times like, you know, you give your parents a hug or you give someone a hug and like, you just burst out into tears. Like, there's so many, like, it's better, it's better than going up to people and just like screaming. Like how yeah. many times have I seen a coach or had a coach like scream at us after a really tough loss? And like, that's supposed to be viewed as like a healthy, mm-hmm. like a healthy thing. When in reality, like there's other ways to go about it rather than just like totally blaming people and yelling at people and it becoming this like huge rush of emotions. Like, I think like you said, like both of you said, like he, he let his emotions out in a healthy way and it shouldn't be viewed in this way. In 2023, where like men can no longer like cry because they're feeling like this rush of emotions. Like that should be okay. Like, and there should be nothing like in terms of his future as an NFL quarterback, as a player, as a leader that has any impact, negative impact to this shouldn't be none. And I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Dude just wanted to go home and cuddle his dog. All of us can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, healthy healthy stuff here on Purple Daily on Draft, okay? Not just uh, NFL and football takes, but also your emotion draft takes, okay? These are these are all good things, <laughs> all good things to get out. Um, fellas, great show here, great stuff. Uh, for anyone listening, hit the subscribe button and like button uh, uh, right here on Purple Daily's YouTube channel for Daily Vikings Entertainment. Give us a five-star review. However you're listening, Apple, Spotify, the Score North app, we appreciate that. Every Monday right here, this is Purple Daily on Draft on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and podcast feed.